what was going on there. So don't you enjoy what happens up here on the platform with our music, Jay and his crew? We are blessed, no doubt about it. We are blessed. Well, we're glad you're at Grace. Thanks for being here. And of course, today's Mother's Day and we're celebrating that, which is appropriate because God tells us that we should honor our mothers. And so that's kind of right down with us. We're actually in a, a series called Ideal Family. And what we've been, we're going to wrap that up today. But what we're talking about in this series is God gives us his ideal. And a lot of times in our families, we're kind of, we're not hitting on all cylinders with God's ideal. And a lot of times we're kind of stuck in the real. And the real doesn't always measure up. And, and because of that gap, that creates tension. And we don't like tension, so we try to get rid of that. And a lot of times what happens is in our culture is we just get rid of God's ideal. And we say this where, where we're at, we're the real, that that's where we ought to be so we can feel better about ourselves. But when we do that... We are casting off truth. We are losing our compass. We are uh, losing our North Star with how it should be, how we are to do family, for example. And I'm telling you, if we keep living with God's ideal in mind, it will help us in reality to more and more be able to accomplish God's ideal through his strength, his guidance, and when we do that in the context of family. It makes our, our families more successful. It makes our, our kids more successful. So we're going to kind of go on with that today. We've been talking a lot about, uh, about how there are differences. And I, I've spent uh, 25 years plus in counseling uh, people about stuff like this. Pam and I have raised three kids that, who are now adults in their 20s. Two of them had just had their first child. And one of them is engaged to be married. And uh, just cool stuff. But what we've been talking a lot about, what causes a lot of conflicts in marriage where we don't attain the ideal is that men and women are different. And that's a little, don't hear a lot about that in our culture today where it seems like everybody's trying to make, them, make us the same. But we are different. We're different in the way we communicate. We've probably all heard about studies that, that just in how we talk, women, you know, I think the study said, you know, speak on average about 20,000 words a day. Right, And men only speak about 10,000 words a day. And, and when you bring something like that, I know a lot of wives are thinking, that's because we have to repeat everything we say. You know, so we, we need to tune in on that. And, and there's a lot going on. You know, people are busy. There's a lot of stress in life that happens. And, and, and another thing is we process stress a little differently. I, I think most of the time, typically... Um, when men are stressed out, they want to just come home and decompress. See, men like to, like to do something, and it's, it's a little different. It's one of our favorite things to do, and that is called nothing. We like to do nothing sometimes, just sit and do nothing. That's how we process stress a lot of times. Women, on the other hand, when they come home stressed, they want to talk about it. Guys don't want to talk about stress. If, if, they, if they have a problem or something, they'll typically go to another guy. If they think that guy can give ideas for a solution, they'll talk. But there's no solution. Hey, they, they, don't, they just don't want to think about it. Women come home, they want to talk and talk and talk 
about it. And, and typically what a man does, his first thing is to start giving solutions, right? But that's not what she wants. She doesn't want solutions. And so then the next thing we do is say, well, just don't think about it. Just stop. You know, let it go. Just leave it there. But actually, I have an illustration about that, how this happens. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So we've been pointing out these differences, and last Sunday we talked about uh, parenting specifically, and I'm going to wrap that up today on Mother's Day, just finish up the whole series and, and finish up on parenting. There's some things that I didn't say last time that I still need to say, and so we're going to take care of that. But basically it boils down to this. God has called us as parents uh, to teach about him. So we're to point our kids to Christ. And it's way back at the beginning, you know, back in the law in Deuteronomy 6, we're challenged parents to, that, that we should love God with all our heart, all our might. But that also we should teach our kids about God and point them to God. And so today what we're going we're gonna to go to 2 Timothy as the book and, and we're going to pull out some principles from there. But as we do that... Uh, we just kind of want to focus in and see really three strategies, three key strategies for making sure that our kids uh, get connected with Jesus. We can't do it for them, but these are strategies that can help make that happen. Now, before, as you're turning to 2 Timothy, I'd like to give you a little backstory about the context for 2 Timothy and, and what we're talking about. Remember, Paul's writing the book, and Paul was a... Uh, a Jewish man who was very much into Judaism to the point where he was persecuting people who were followers of Christ. And he did that uh, for years. And then there came a point when the resurrected and ascended Christ actually confronted him and he uh, had a conversion experience. He became a Christ follower. When that happened, totally changed his life. He was so pumped up about it that he started traveling from town to town to town to share uh, the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the, this, this news about Jesus to everybody. And as he was doing that, he went out on what we call missionary journeys. He went out on these trips. And in the, the first missionary journey, he went to a, a city called Lystra, or Lystra in modern-day Turkey. And that was just one of the cities in his trip. He actually went there. He was with Barnabas. And while they were there, uh, they go into the city. He's trying to explain to them about the one true God. He's not getting a lot of traction. And then they come across this man who had been uh, born lame. He couldn't walk and he never could walk. And Paul actually heals this man. And when that happens, it, it causes a huge stir in the city and everybody kind of turns out and so they're all kind of focused in now everybody's listening and and they really they start they're speaking a different language and Paul didn't know exactly what's happening but some pagan priests actually come out and they bring oxen because they're coming out to kill the oxen and make a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas Again, they're speaking a different language, but when Paul kind of figures out what's happening, he runs out into the crowd and he says, no, no, we're men just like you are, but we're here to tell you how you can be connected to the one true God. And when this happens, 
At first, they're listening, and, and it kind of makes sense to them. They're, they're tracking with him. But pretty soon, the priests and the pagan priests and some other people figure out what he's talking about, and they don't like it, and so there's some pushback. And eventually, the whole city turns against Paul, and he's actually stoned right there in the city. They think he's dead, and they drag him outside the city to kind of discard his carcass. In the meantime, Paul revives, and he, he, he gets up, he dusts himself off. Paul risked his life continually, and he went right back into town and started preaching the gospel again. And then after he was there for a short time at that point, he went on to some other towns. Now fast forward, and Paul has completed that, tri that trip, that journey to those cities, and now he's on another trip visiting cities, and he goes back to this town, Lystra. And he already knows some people there. And he meets uh, a guy that he hadn't met before, a man named Timothy. And Timothy, his mother, is a, a Jewish person who has become a follower of Christ and his grandmother. But Timothy's dad is a Gentile guy who's not a Christ follower, kind of like me and some of us here. So he has a mother that's a believer, a dad that's not a believer. But Paul meets Timothy, he's impressed with Timothy, and he actually then invites Timothy to come on to these, uh, to join him as he travels around and shares the gospel. They do that for a while, and eventually, uh, Paul even kind of sets Timothy up to be a pastor in one of those cities. And now, fast forward a little further, as Paul continues his ministry, he writes Timothy a couple of letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And in these letters, he's writing to Timothy to, to instruct him, to tell him how he is to lead the church. And these were letters that were not only for Timothy as an individual, but they would be read aloud in church. And so he did that 1 Timothy, and now he writes this second letter, 2 Timothy, again, to instruct him in, in church leadership, but also to be read in front of the church. And so that kind of brings us up where we're at. And here's what it says in 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. And so he opens up his letter... Paul does, and he refers kind of to uh, Timothy's Christian heritage. He, he, he kind of he opens up, introduces himself the way they did letters, and then he kind of turns this to Timothy. He mentions Timothy's mom, Timothy's grandma, and he's talking about how, the fact that Timothy is a believer. And, and the first thing that I want us to kind of get from that is for these three keys to impacting our kids, three strategies for impacting our kids for Christ, is the first thing is this, that we should do everything we could do to influence our children to follow Christ. I mean, it's just that simple. Influence your children to follow Christ. This is what God wants us to do. This is our primary job as a parent 
is to point our kids, teach them about God, and point them to God. But it takes intentional action. It doesn't just happen automatically. We don't just drift into it. We have to be intentional about influencing our kids for God. This was very important to me as a, as a person in my young 20s. At the time, I was in business and I was thinking about maybe going into ministry. I always knew that I wanted to be involved in church and a teacher. I even took a Greek class in preparation to be a volunteer at church, if that kind of sounds crazy, but that's kind of where I was. And then I was thinking about maybe that God would want me to go into ministry. My biggest hurdle, the, the biggest barrier that I felt about going into ministry was that I was hoping that someday I would be married and someday I would have kids. And my fear was, if I went into ministry, how that might impact my kids. And it wasn't a good thing. My fear is that being in ministry might impact my kids for Christ negatively. I know that, that sounds weird to you maybe, but that's how I thought. Because I realized that if I work some secular job, you know, uh, you know, just say I'm in banking or whatever, and I'm working that job and I have a passion to follow Jesus, I think my kids will be like, wow. You know, dad, he's really got a passion to follow Jesus. But if I was a pastor and, and I had a passion to follow Jesus, I was afraid that my kids would just look at that and go, well, yeah, that's his job. You know, of course, yeah, yeah, of course he does what God wants him to do. He's supposed to do that. That's how he earns his living. And that bugged me. And, and every once in a while you hear stories about uh, pastors' kids who... Maybe because they, they grow up in church constantly that they kind of take church for granted and therefore maybe kind of take God for granted and then they sort of just go the other way, you know, after they get out of the home. That all weighed on me. That was my biggest barrier. Now, ultimately, I decided, well, you know, what do I want to do in life? I want to impact people for Jesus and I'm going to be able to spend more time doing that if I end up in ministry. I felt God's uh, leading and so I ended up going and getting trained and, and coming here to Grace, my first church you know, to, to hang with you guys and as we all grow toward Christ. But the point is this, you know, our main job, no matter what else we're doing, is to impact our kids for Jesus. That's job one as a parent. So we need to creatively figure out how to leverage whatever influence we have to point our kids to Christ. Now, my kids, uh, you know, and I'm so glad I did come to Grace because uh, things went well, and it turns out uh, all three of my kids have a passion to follow God, and they, two of them have married people that have a passion to follow God. And, so God. and I pray every day for my two grandkids that they would one day become believers and have a passion to follow God. I pray that every day. And so that's job one for us as parents. Now, we have to creatively figure out ways in order to do that. But just to know the best thing I could give my family is a relationship with Christ. Nothing else is, is close. And uh, so as you live out life, it, it's more than just um, going through the motions. You have to creatively, intentionally figure out how to communicate to your kids that God is impacting your life and that you want the same for them. So your kids should be able to see that sometimes you make a decision that maybe you don't want to make, but you do it because you think that's what God wants me to do. They've got to see that. 
Or maybe during, you know, when you maybe have prayer at meals, which is a good idea, or before bed with kids is a great time. You know, that when you're doing that at prayer time, that you involve them. Like maybe at a meal, if, you're, if you know somebody has a need and you're praying for somebody, that maybe you just you assign that prayer request to one of your kids. And so they, they pray for that person. You give them a little direction and let them pray. And, and again, we talked about all the stages of parenting and how things shift. But I'm just saying through all those stages, we are leveraging everything we can leverage as parents we should to influence them to follow Christ. And... Uh, you know, that's, that's what, if we're not parents, we should be doing that with everybody in our life. And parents, not only our kids, but everybody. We want to impact people. Why? Because people are eternal. Everything else goes away, but people are eternal, and so we want to impact them. We want to point them to Christ. The stakes couldn't be higher. That's what we're all about as a church at Grace Community, impacting people. We make no bones about that. That's why we, we sacrifice to build a youth center or, or whatever we're doing. What, we want to impact people. We want to impact this, this generation and the next generation for Christ. Point people to Christ. We will do anything short of sin to point people to Jesus. That's what we're all about at Grace Community Church. And that brings us to our next point. Strategy number two. We need to prioritize church. I know you don't hear that a lot from me, but we do. As parents, we need to prioritize church, make church important. You know what happens? We get busy in life and a lot of things are happening and all of a sudden we make these decisions and and our kids see us, say we're in the habit of coming to church, but something will come up and our kids will see us put something else over church. And we would never say that verbally, but they watch us and they see, oh, you know, I, I didn't get up quite as early today, so we'll skip church. You know, just any little thing. And they understand, they see that what we're doing, that we're just lowering the priority of church in our life. And they notice that. If you're a parent, you need to prioritize church and your kids need to be here. They should be here on Sunday morning. First thing for kids, we would say, hey, if you have a teenager, they should be right here in this service. And the other most important thing for kids is that they be here on Wednesday night, fuse, huge. And then the third priority maybe would be that they're at, uh, you know, at, at their Sunday school hour where they have groups on Sunday morning. But they should be here, and you need to make sure that that, that happens. What amazes me is a lot of times parents uh, let so many different things deprioritize church sometimes for example on Wednesdays and stuff it's sports it could be sports music ballet it could be anything but we let these other things deprioritize we put them over church and then we wonder as we do that all their teenage years that why when they when they leave our home why they don't go because we've taught them that it's not important that's last on the priority list that's the problem I like sports I played football in high school, a little bit of wrestling. I love football. I love playing. I love watching it today. But you don't learn what you need to learn from life, from sports. Now, sometimes coaches say that you will. How many have heard coaches say this? You know, I'm not jamming on coaches, but we've all probably heard coaches, hey, what I'm teaching you, it's not just about football. This will help you for life. You've all heard that, right? 
you know, coaches say that, probably a little overrated. If you don't mind, we have a lot of coaches here, so if you don't mind my saying that, might be a little overrated, overrated I think. But, uh, you know, it'd be like, say, say I had that attitude. Say that's what I got. Say, uh, say my mom wasn't teaching me about church, so I just did the football thing. And I knew about God and went to church once in a while, but football was my life. And then, so with that kind of thinking, it'd be like this. I get out of football. I graduate from high school. And so say I get my first job. Say it's like parking cars or something. Well, one day I'm parking a really nice car. So I decide I'm going to take this car for a spin because it's It's nice. So I take it for a short spin, I bring it back, and then my boss, somehow they find out. And so my boss loses the account to park the cars because one of his employees took a spin. And so now my boss is confronting me. Got the picture? So my boss is confronting me, called me on the carpet, and he's saying, what were you thinking? You took a customer's car out for, what what are you doing? Now, it's not going to work for me to feed back to him all the stuff I learned from my coach. You know, hey, boss, don't let this one loss get you down. (laughs) You know, you got to get it back out there. You know, hey, the important thing is I went out there and I had fun. You know, that's what's important. You know, these little sayings that your coaches are feeding you, that's really not going to cut it for life. But we act like that's a substitute. Hey, it's not. Football taught me some lessons that, that I... And benefiting from today. But it's nothing like what I learned at church for my life. There's no comparison. It's, it's not even close. And so here's what Paul writes uh, to Timothy in chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what he says. You, however, he, it's Paul to Timothy. You, however... Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You see, Paul's writing Timothy saying, hey, you know, you know this stuff, you, you know this truth, and you've heard it since childhood. Where, where's, where's he getting all that? Well, church. The whole context of this is church. Paul's writing Timothy on how to lead the church. He's writing a letter that's going to be read in church. He's talking about how Timothy has learned these things, not only from his grandmother and his mother, But he's also learned these things from Paul and other people. Where? At church. It's the whole point. That's what he's saying. Church is God's idea. Church is God's organization. And when we de-emphasize it, when we deprioritize it, it hurts our families and it hurts our kids. And I know sometimes people say, hey, well, well, Kevin, when we're not here, we tune in online. I think we had over 100 people tuning in online uh, with our live stream last Sunday. And I get that, and that's great. And if you're sick, can't make it out of town, a lot of people tune in that way. But, you know, if it's just kind of a convenience thing, I just didn't feel like going in. Please know this. 
live streaming our church service is nothing compared to being here. It's not meant to replace showing up, singing praises with your brothers and sisters in Christ, doing life together, learning the word together in context, encouraging each other, sharpening each other, being here together, worshiping together. that's, That's God's idea. And that's what we want to be a part of here at Grace. And you need to make sure your kids are a part of that. You know, children, typically children and teens love coming to Grace. But every so often through ministry, I'm asked the same question. I got to tell you, every time I'm asked this question, it surprises me. You wouldn't think it because I've probably been asked this question over 100 times. But every single time somebody asks me, it surprises me that I'm being asked this. And here's the question. Should I force my kids to come to church? Kevin, are you telling me, you know, I'm worried about, you telling me I should force my kids to come? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Do you force your kids to go to school? Do you force them to go to that part-time job they've committed to? Do you force them to go to the practice that they committed? Hey, yeah. If you have a child living under your roof, no matter what age they are, to me, I think you should force them. Coming to church should be just part of what you do as a family. We go to church together. You're living under my roof. We go to church together. Why? Because that's your job as a parent to instruct them about God. And you can do that at home, but you're also going to need church. Again, not our idea, God's idea. You got you to prioritize church. It's what God wants us to do. And then the last strategy is simply this. You need to make sure that you leave a spiritual legacy for your children. You got to leave a spiritual legacy for them. That even if you're taken off the planet tomorrow, they remember you as a believer who is passionate about following God and wanted to point them to God. My mom, back in Colorado, is amazing. A couple years ago, we went to uh, Amish country. And while we were there, we saw a a six-horse team plowing a field. And and we're driving along, and my mom says, I remember when we did that when I was a kid. And I'm like, wow. Here's mom. She's got a smartphone, drives around in a a Buick Enclave. You know, and she's telling me about how it was when they plowed with horses in southern Colorado. And she remembers the first time they got a tractor. They still used the horses to plow, but they had a tractor. They used it for some... You know, they, she remembers the first car the family had. You know, just look at the changes that happened. And I know parents a lot of times talk about, well, what am I going to leave my kids? And, you know, a lot of times they're talking about financial stuff. You know, that, it's not important. Leave them a spiritual legacy. It's the most important thing you can leave your kids. Here's how that happened with my mom. When she got, my dad was in the service, went in during World War II, the day after he turned 17. And, uh, and then later married my mother. 
He was stationed out in California. I think at this point, my mom had myself and one of my brothers. And some lady from a nearby church visited my mom, got struck up a friendship, which I'm sure my mom didn't have a lot of friends, you know, just living on base, always temporary. And she led my mom to Christ or was instrumental in leading my mom to Christ. And that changed our family history. My dad never became a believer, but my mom started bringing us kids to church all over the country, wherever we were stationed, church. She'd find a church. I'm sure that wasn't easy, three boys getting them ready and dragging them to church by herself, always. But she did that, and because she did that, one day at church, actually after my dad got out of the service in New Mexico, I became a follower of Christ. And that is the most important thing my mom could ever give me. So mom, if you're listening, thanks. But that's what it's all about. When we're gone, when our life is over, we want to have left a spiritual legacy that our children, no matter how old they are, could clearly see that they knew that we were passionate about following God, that it changed our life, that it impacted the way we lived, and that they, they, would, they would catch that. It's the most important thing you could leave your kids. Why? Because the stakes are so high. Why? Because we believe that God exists and that he created us and he is indeed our judge. We have a culture, everybody running around, don't judge me, don't judge me. And they used to always say, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. But now you don't hear the last part as much as don't judge me. But we will be judged by God in heaven who created us. And he's already told us what the judgment is. He's already told that to all of us. That we've all failed. That we've failed to keep his standard, his righteous standard. That we've all blown it. We've all failed morally. And because God's just, he's, he's telling us straight up, up front. It's not a matter of thinking, hey, will I be okay with God when I get there? He's already told us, none of us are going to be okay with God. Based on what we've done in our life. When it's time for God to judge us. But because he loves you personally. And he loves me. He created a way for us to be forgiven. He did it at great cost, great sacrifice. He did it by sending his one and only son. That came to earth. What Jay was singing about. Came to earth to die for our sins. And create a way for us to be forgiven and be reconciled, sinful man, to a holy and righteous God. That we could be reconnected. But it doesn't happen automatically. It only happens when we respond with faith. And responding with faith means that you believe who Jesus is. The very son of God. God in human form. And that you trust in what Jesus did 
to be the only way that you can be forgiven of your sin. Not your own merit. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. We can only come to Christ and trust in what Christ has done for us. And when you respond to God like that, it will change your life. And if you think you've maybe done that, but it's never changed your life, then you need to question that. Get that figured out. Because once we put our faith in Christ, he will come into our lives. He'll, he'll change us. Some people change drastically. Some people change a little slower over time. But he will change us. We will find ourselves wanting to know more about God, wanting to have a relationship with God, wanting to follow God in different areas of our life, and especially wanting that our children and other people that we know in our lives, that they would also experience the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, the life change that God offers us. It's the most important thing. Yesterday, uh, some of us were out running the, or walking the Heartbeat Hope um, 5K. Yeah, Hope Medical Heartbeat 5K. And how many of you were there? You know, There's a lot of people there from Grace. And, and so, me and several people, a whole bunch of friends, ran the 5K, which I'm a terrible runner, but I finished the course. That's what, that's, what, that's what Paul says to Timothy. It's right here in 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Here's Paul writing Timothy, saying, my life is about over. But I believe I've done what God's wanted me to do. I've finished my course. That's what we need to do for our kids. Finish the course. Leave the legacy. Leverage all the influence we have toward one primary goal to win them to Christ. Prioritize church, the only organization on the planet that's going to help you do that effectively in order to leave them a spiritual legacy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love for us. And God, we recognize uh, that in one sense we're all here and we fall under one category, sinners. Lord, we've, we've, none of us here have measured up to your standards. But God, we also know mysteriously that you love you love us more than we could ever imagine. And God, because of that, you made a way by sending your son so that if we respond to you, we can be reconciled to you forever. And then that kind of divides us into two different categories. All of us are sinners, but some have thrown themselves on your mercy for forgiveness, recognizing they can't do anything to earn favor from you. And, and the rest of us have not done that yet. Father, we pray that you would uh, touch the hearts of those who have not responded to you in faith. and God, that you, your spirit would, would tug on their hearts, that you would draw them to yourself, that you'd help them to see.
how you love them and how you've provided for them at great, great cost to make a way for them to be forgiven. Father, we pray that you'd make that happen. Help them to see, maybe even today, or, or to come back and, and keep hearing about how they can become believers forever. And Father, those of us who are believers, that we don't deserve it, and it's only by grace. God, help us to keep reaching for your ideal and never settle for our real. Lord, that help us to, to keep following you, pursuing you, pointing people to you so that we can influence and impact our kids and leave the legacy that you want us to leave, Lord. God, thanks for loving us. and Thank you most of all for the greatest gift in your son, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much uh, for being here. We're starting a new series, Bloodline, next week. Hope to see you next Sunday. Have a great day.